that title, Reclaiming the Poetics of Indigenous Ones, was just like, it's basically just trying to bring together um, this art form I so much, so much adore with this instrument. I also like have so much um, um, so much um, respect and love for and also like using those two mediums to like um, redefine and re-elevate what these instruments were, are and can still be because what I've also observed is they've almost in, in this present day been relegated to souvenirs people collect but actually when you step back and like study the history of this instrument at a point in time, they were this very symbolic cultural object that kept people together. Um, they were used to signal the beginning of seasons. They were used to signal the coming of like kings. Uh, they were used to signal the the to alert people about wild animals. It's like it's like it had so many um, functions which were like very significant to living. From the Institute for Creative Arts at the University of Cape Town, this is the ICA podcast, where we interview South African artists and curators who perform or curate live interdisciplinary works. I'm Nkhopuleg Muloi, host of the season three of the ICA podcast, and you are listening to episode seven, featuring multi-instrumentalist and music scholar Kolawole Bolohan and his 2022 performance, Reclaiming the Poetics of Indigenous Horns. Through this work, Bolohan meditates on the use of indigenous instruments in the context of current music-making practices. Reclaiming the Poetics of Indigenous Horns took place at UCT Heading Campus in two parts. In the first part, Bolahon is on stage. By his feet are horns of different shapes and sizes, as well as shakers and a trumpet. He moves between spoken poetry, playing different horns and other instruments such as the njembe drum. Sitting close by is his collaborator Daniel Franks feeding each sound through the looping station. Bolahan's spirited performance is followed by a performance with the five-part ensemble Sounds and Words. Sounds and Words is a poetic band who blend poetry and music to engage new creative forms. The two performances coalesce through an immersion in indigenous sounds alongside the vibrations and beats of contemporary percussion and brass. Reclaiming the Poetics of Indigenous Horns is part of Bolohan's PhD research. It seeks to trouble ideas of indigenous instruments as archaic, naive and unsophisticated. In today's episode, we journey with Kolahole Bolohan as he traverses different soundscapes from West Africa, Southern Africa, and beyond. Okay, uh, my name is Kolahole Cornelius Bolohan, and Kolahole means um, gather wealth. 
and bring it in. It's like that's the direct translation. The the grand meaning of the name it's in itself is like um just um go into the world, gather wealth and um um don't forget where you come from, just bring it in and um show or share whatever you've gathered from the world, whatever wealth you've gathered, wealth of knowledge, money, whatever, make sure you come back and like still enrich the family from where you came from. Um I was born and raised in Lagos. Uh, my parents are not from Lagos, but like every other country, you know, people always move to the financial capital. Okay, so the financial capital of Nigeria is Lagos. Um, my parents are from Ikiti State, which is the southwest, southwest, yeah, southwest of um, of Nigeria. And tell me about um, how one could paint the picture of Nigerian musical landscape, depending on where you are, the kind of sounds that you hear as you move through the country. Uh, over 200 ethnic groups. The main four are, um, you have um, Yoruba, which I am. Um, you have the Igbos, who are from the eastern part of Nigeria. And you have the, um, the Aousas, who are like from the north. And um, so the way, the way the musical landscape works is also, um, is also being influenced by the ecological factors of those cultural communities. In the north, you have access to materials such as the horns, um, strings, which you actually can get from the fetus of like a, a young calf. So you could use that like a, for a string instrument. Lots of poetry also that side. Um, um, also lots of influences from um, neighboring countries like like um, Niger and so lots of Fulani culture coming down from Senegal, other places, all those places. Um, with the Yorubas, because there's more forestry on our side, so it's lots of like percussion, percussive instruments, because um, you have access to wood, obviously. Um, lots of singing, a lot of dance, because with, with percussion comes dance and singing, <laughs> lots of singing. Um, then as you go to the east, is um, lots of flutes, wind instruments, um, drumming also because um yeah they've got forestry that side also so drumming singing so um i would say the instrumentation might be might be similar but then again the approach to how the stylistic approach is what sets them apart and um, there's percussion in every cultural community in terms of how they express their musical taste you find um you find horns basically any part of nigeria but like just the way they've been used or played is what like mixed those differences a lot of sense it's it's like a really nice way to kind of see what the country or, or rather to hear what the country sounds like so you came to South Africa in 2011 what music um, were you kind of immediately exposed to when you got to the when you first got to the country would you say okay so so uh, I came in for um, a, a musical festival it's called um, Stellenbosch um, Stellenbosch um, chamber music festival. So the old festival is, is is kind of centered around teaching people how to play chamber music. Like it's a, a celebration, basically. Let me say it's a celebration of chamber music. Uh, and obviously, they had orchestras also, and you would have all these top classical players from around the world fly in and give like workshops. And um, so that was what brought me to. Cape Town, South Africa, that's Stellenbosch, in 2011. And um, I mean, back home, I was also involved in like um, the 
um, music played from indigenous from instruments that are indigenous to Nigeria, like from different parts of the world, like the talking drum, which is more Yoruba, uh, the Nje, which is like the the Hebo like flutes. I'd been exposed to those, and I knew like I really appreciated that style. But I, I think um, I'm moving to Cape Town, and um, perhaps because of uh, the friends I also got to make, I got more like I, I think I had more time to delve into like indigenous but southern African and just in general music played from African indigenous instruments and so that's one of the other styles that like um I mean I got exposed to more and kind of deeply appreciated even more compared to compared to how I did appreciate them before coming here. Let's talk about uh, the African, the indigenous African horn. So when did you kind of come across the horn for the first time and when did you kind of start using it in your practice? Um, so I'd always like listened, seen, but never played um, before I moved to South Africa. But obviously I had records, uh, had CDs that like incorporated the sounds. Um, um, at UCT College of Music, um, the African Music Department, and, and this is also because of my kind of person. I I was just one of those very few music students that had friends from every department in the, at the College of Music. So from jazz to opera to classical voice to African um, music students, I just had like pockets of like friendship. I'd kind of been able to make in those departments and I think it was actually the, the few times or the many times not few times I, I would spend in all these pockets of like um, um, friendship I I would get exposed to you know either touching or reading or like listening and um, so being at the College of Music having friends in the African Music Department just got me like dude you've always liked this thing like so I had access to the storeroom and I yeah I just I remember the first time I picked up the the kudu horn. <laughs> Remember, like picking it up, and I was messing around. I couldn't make a sound, even though I played the trumpet. It was just like, but the guy just showed me like some few tricks, and and that was it. So, and that was it. Um, there was just this appreciation for such a very raw and authentic sound. You can tell whatever you call the trumpet today came from that. I mean, I mean, the first, the first function of that horn itself was to call people to signal, to send signals either for battle or, or sometimes also to wade like spirits away. So it's, I think, the only reason it, it's been able to function in that realm is because of the, of its capacity to like project sound over a long distance. In terms of texture, it's like round, um, warm, yeah, yeah. raw sound. I think, I think I can hear that, like quite like full, it's like yeah. So, it's like full, but at the same time, it, it, it cuts through. You could have like 50 instruments and uh, the, the sound would cut through 
regardless of those um the texture or sound of the instrument if you play the kudu horn like it has that ability to like cut through the, the sound and it projects very far Tell me about the different types of African horns. So for your performance at ICA, you were kind of playing around with some made from shells, um, some kind of coming so from animals. Yeah, basically it was two. Um, I had uh, the one made from a conch shell, um, which was a triton shell. Um, so the triton shell, you find those uh, more prevalent in, uh, in East Africa or like cultural communities bordering the Indian Ocean, like Tanzania, Kenya, in places like Zanzibar. So um, that was the conch shell I was playing on, which was made from a triton shell. Then I had sets of kudu horns. It, yeah, it was a set of eight. <laughs> it was a set of eight kudu horns, and they were all like in different keys. That was why I had to like pick each of them for different like um, notes I wanted. I wanted to like project. And I had like other like um, percussive instruments I made from, I personally made from uh, leaves I picked up in places like Mozambique. Um, I picked up some actually on campus and just tied them together and um, made like shakers of them. And for me, it was just more about like um, um, showcasing this. Um, art of, of, of cycling, um, just um, natural materials and making making like good musical sound of them. And maybe we can talk a little bit about how you incorporate African horns into um, the other kind of musical instruments that you use, um, both when you are alone, but also when you are performing with other people. How do I explain this? So, 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 so um, with, with, with each um, horn you, you choose, either kudu or conch or, or even um, horns um, made from like seaweed, for instance, um, or whatever, like vegetable material or um, um, animal much um, use at the end of the day it's like each of them produce a particular note so it's about you being able to recognize the notes each of them produces and knowing what tune or what other instruments can harmonize or play the same um, note and from there you you put the pieces together so it's not always just random it's also having that musical knowledge to know what works in harmony and what actually helps to enrich this other sound. So with the trumpet, if I want to play 12 notes, I don't have to play different types of trumpet to get those 12 notes. It's actually making use of the mechanism, which is the valve. So on each, you have three valves, and on, on each valve, you have um, four different notes, depending on how you <laughs> how you maneuver your embouchure. So four in three places, that's 12, and that's all the notes you have in music. So on the mechanical advantage the trumpet has, has to do with the valves. Now with the kudu one, 
because it doesn't have those valves to manipulate the sound you have to actually use your embouchure to like you either tighten or like you release you so when you tighten it helps you pitch higher and the way that works also is more like um um the faster the air you push in the higher the, the, the higher the pitch um the 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 slower the air you push in the deeper the sound you get from the instrument and that also works on the trumpet also so like um with the kudu on you can only put this like maybe two or three pitches on one kudu and it's just like finding which particular kudu would give the, the needed notes to harmonize or to create a melody needed to like complete the song basically So maybe take us through the songs that you guys performed um, on that evening and uh, maybe the process of like creating them and kind of putting them together. For the IC in particular, um, in that first half where it was just me on, on, on the trumpet, the indigenous horns and my other friend on stage, um, Daniel, who was on all those electronic um, gadgets. Um, what I was playing with there was more like the idea of soundscape. Soundscape as um, a site of struggle, a site of sonic struggle. It's like also like a, a sound archive in, in its own way and through which you can understand the struggles of people, um, uh, how people have been able to navigate spaces, um, um, how soundscape itself can help understand um, culture, I mean, cultural practices that like define people. It's like soundscape as a site of memory recollection, uh, as a site of sonic recognition of people's struggle, you know? And um, so all I did there was just creating sounds. It wasn't so much of like a particular melody or <laughs> the idea of merging those indigenous horns with electronic gadgets and also like in the context of other musical instruments it's like it's evolved over time so in that first half all i was trying to do was just you know explain on a physical level on a, uh, on a performance level this idea of soundscape as a site of sonic struggle as a site of sonic um, memory recollection through which you could understand the past the present and how people have actually navigated spaces And what would you say are kind of the particular sites that you were drawing from as inspiration for that first piece? Yeah, obviously, the hustle and bustle of, uh, <laughs> of uh, um, traffic in Lagos. Yeah. Oh man, that is next level. Um, the, the hooting of horns, music coming from people's cars that are next to each other, people walking on the street, having a chat, um, hawkers on the street trying to sell plantain or like peanuts, um, bus drivers, you know, shouting at each other, like criticizing each other's driving skills. You know, um, if you listen back, it was just like a, a constant droplets and overlaying of like different sounds, obviously with the loop machine and all that. So like, and it just kept on building. Yeah, that's that's basically it. I won't just say Lagos, obviously. I mean, 
I've been in Cape Town for like over eight years now. So, but it just turns out every time my first reference in terms of geographical locations was always Lagos. Constructed with shells made from vegetables, gutted from the sables and hunted from the cattle. It is, it is, it is the sound, the sound. Part of that first half was also uh, a recitation of spoken word, basically. Yeah, yeah, Can yes. you tell me a little bit about what you were doing there? The sound played through the horns. So, um, the very first one I read was, um, I think it was a poem also, which... Um, do I put this together? It was basically a poetic um, coincise like version of the historical trajectory of the horns. So I said things like, it's blurred in the festival, used to arouse the coming of kings. It's also um, significant to the completion of, of rituals. Um, how the sound itself is believed to heal, to chase away evil evil spirits like the whole poem was just like a poetic composition of the historical trajectory of, of the horn itself so instead of reading this long history i just thought like i i bring all this significant information together but in a very poetic style so that was the first poem then the second recitation was around these ideas about soundscape it's a sonic representation and expression that captures the ideas of time, spaces, places within its context. And tell me, what is kind of the, the interaction or the relationship that you see between poetry and kind of the music that you make, particularly when it comes to um, indigenous instruments? I'm, I've never studied poetry. I've always just innately understood it and be drawn to it. But um, through that, I've come to understand like, it's the essence of what's been spoken. It's deeper. It's so deep in metaphors and proverbs and those, that way of speaking, I mean, when you actually peel them, it's like so many layers of meaning. <laughs> and that's what makes that art form very powerful. Because two words can have like 20 interpretations, but in that in those 20 interpretations, you find out there are always this one continuous theme that runs through them. So the, the despite like the interpretation, you often never lose the essence, you know. So that's one thing that has drawn me to that art form. Maybe we can speak about the second part of the performance where you bring in your band. Yeah. So, so the second um, half of that performance, we saw um, other instrument instrumentalists come on, and uh, you had um, Timothy on on drums and um, Jared on the guitar and um, Duncan on the bass and um, Keegan on on the trumpet. So in that segment. I was also trying to show what was possible in the context of today's kinds of instrument and how the whatever indigenous instruments might be, but in this particular context, it was the kudu one, 
and the conch shell and for in that section all i was trying to show again was like how these horns have the capacity to also blend and not just blend like be like passive but blend in such a way their sound is still very much significant and actually can lead a collective of other like modern instrument and basically that was just um what the second part was trying to like um present can play alongside a trumpet, the kudu on or the conch shell, whatever indigenous instrument you want to think of. The wuhadi can play alongside whatever instrument. Just all that really matters is the level of um, musicality and also, see, the wheel. That's for me even, I don't want to say it's more significant than the music musicality, but like the wheel of both musicians wanting to play together really, allows the musicality even flourish better. So, but to answer your question, it was basically trying to make people understand when a kudu or an indigenous instrument, when exposed to other like contexts of modern instruments, they can still flourish and they are still as relevant as what, what they were. In relation to um, your PhD, how do you situate this performance reclaiming the products of indigenous horn within um, your kind of bigger life project, which is your PhD? So, um, my, 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 let me try and put it in a, nut, in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> my PhD at the moment is, is basically around um, curating, so it's around musical instrument curation, musical instrument curation, classification, and redefinition. So, so uh, at the moment, I'm, at the moment, I'm working with the Kirby Collection, an instrument collection that was collected by Persevian Kirby between I think 1930 1934. This person collected over 600 um, Southern African instruments. There are a lot of problematic things around that, obviously. But um, at the moment, it's um, collected, curated, and displayed in this room at the College of Music, which is called the Kirby Collection. So now my PhD is basically around how we can re revisit the way these instruments have been created. Um, what more context can be brought into, what more social context can be brought into how instruments are, are being um, curated or classified. Because at the end of the day, um, we have to like also be able to engage with these questions around what is the essence of creating? What is the essence of like displaying instruments? Is it just like for the sake of gazing? Is it to educate? Is it to inform people? So what I'm trying to do with that collection at the moment is to make it a place of knowledge dissemination. So people are not just coming in to view this object that is tagged C4712 from some <laughs> glass frame, but bringing the instrument alive. 
I believe instruments are like objects beyond objects because they have the capacity to animate people's idea. They have the capacity to symbolize a cultural way of being. There's this ethos behind them. There's this history behind them. And I, I believe, this is my argument, I believe all that can come together in the ways in ways in which they've been created, catalogued, or classified, or defined. Maybe you can tell us about some of the kind of more difficult parts that you've encountered in this journey of trying to reclaim indigenous um, instruments. Like, what are some of kind of the um, difficulties that you you have kind of faced? I'll start from something that's very personal. So uh, at the moment, I'm still struggling with fine-tuning the sound crossing over from the trumpet to the kudu. Like there's still, in terms of musicality, there's still so much that can be done. So that's one of my personal struggles, <laughs> mm-hmm. which um, I believe practice will get fine-tuned. Um, and how this, the texture of both the trumpet and the kudu and other like indigenous ones I'm going to be picking up in, later, how they can come together so nicely and harmonically and more musically. Um, theoretically, ideologically, they kind of make sense. You know, um, the, the idea is radical, but but in practical, in, in musical practicality, I, I feel it can still get better. The ICA podcast is a production of the Institute for Creative Arts at the University of Cape Town. It is hosted by me, Nkhopuleng Muloi, and produced and edited by Catherine Bull. Music in this episode is from Kolawole Bolohan's Reclaiming the Poetics of Indigenous Horns, presented at the 2022 ICA Life Art Festival.